0: Thank you very much, lovely to see you. Um, I don't know if you've got a view as to what the most acted drama ever is. Uh, When I was in school, uh, I'll see if you can get this one, it went something like this, way, way back many centuries... Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, yes, or, oh, oh, that one's a bit of a giveaway, isn't it? Anyway, there's lots of things that get acted out again and again and again and again, and you think, oh my goodness me, do we have to watch this? A sound of music that came on every year at Christmas for me in my household, whether I wanted it on or not, it was like just there. But there is one act that has been acted out a multitude of times more than anything else has ever been acted out, and that's what we're here to talk about tonight, the greatest drama that has ever been enacted and given as a piece of theatre for humanity, and that's uh, the Holy Communion. And that's what is here in this passage. If you have a little think about it, in this church alone, three times a week, we enact Holy Communion. There are 16,000 Anglican churches in this country. Uh, There are millions of churches around the world. And almost every single one of them will enact Holy Communion on at least a weekly basis. Imagine how many times this drama has been acted out. What an incredible thing. So let's pray as we look at it and pray that we might do some justice to uh, this extraordinary passage and vital piece of a human drama. Lord, we pray that you open the scriptures to us now. Pray that you give us eyes to see things we haven't seen before and wisdom to receive things that we already know but haven't put into action. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're coming towards the end of our series on eating with Jesus and this one's different in lots of different ways. The first reason, though, is who is the host? Who is the host in this particular uh, drama? The host this time, for the first time, is Jesus himself. If you uh, look back a few verses before the bits we got read, uh, Jesus sends Peter and John and says, "'Go and make preparations for us to eat a Passover.'" And they're like, okay, where? We're in a different city, we don't know anyone. It's like walking into, I don't know, Kensington and saying, right, could you just set up a table for us? And uh, by the way, you haven't got any money. Um, So he says, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner, the teacher says, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he'll show you a large room that's already uh, furnished upstairs. Make preparations there. This is brilliant, isn't it? He's setting up the drama by providing for everything. And he is going to be the host at the table. But it's all pre-prepared. They leave and they find things just as Jesus has told him. And so they prepare the Passover. And when the hour came at the right time, this is a key phrase, when the hour came, Jesus and the apostles recline at the table. And he says to them, and this is a phrase I want you to try and catch hold of. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Before I suffer, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, if we fast forward to what's going to happen, uh, just over the page, the next, the next act in a big drama is Jesus praying on the Mount of Olives. Any, anyone been to the Mount of Olives? Anyone sat there in Jerusalem and seen that place of tears and pain? You might just picture yourself in there now. Uh, Jesus is now there. We're just a stone's throw away from his three crack troop disciples, Peter, James, and John, who is brought with him. And he's praying, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel has to come to him to strengthen him. He prays on in anguish. He prays more earnestly and sweat like drops of blood fall to the ground from him. He's in utter anguish just a a few hours later. And when he rises from prayer, he finds the disciples asleep. But they're not just asleep because they're tired. It says they're exhausted from sorrow. So Jesus is in a state of heading into high anguish. His disciples are in a state of exhaustion from sorrow. And he's saying here, back in in our bit of the passage, I have eagerly desired to eat with you. Now, what do you do when you're suffering or expecting to suffer from some degree of anguish or anxiety? I've been learning about it recently. I've been doing this sort of online NHS counselling type self-help thing. They can't really afford proper counsellors, so they, um, they send you on a self-help online course. You have to phone them up and basically counsel yourself, I think is the way it works. Um, so I've been doing it. And every week before I do it, I have to fill in an anxiety score sheet and a depression score sheet and I've no idea what I've done because, to be honest, it's the most stressful thing I ever do in my life. Is filling in this stress thing. Can't stand it. The phone calls slightly worse, but the the anxiety stress thing is really hard. But with something coming up that is going to give me anxiety, uh, there's a chance. They all say, aren't they? That you either you do the what's the F and the F? Flight or flight or fight. Yeah, but there's another one which is just literally burying your head in the ground and pretending it's not going to happen. <laughs> just like, I'm not even going to think about it. That, that's more me. I'm more like the third one. I'm not really a fighter or a flyer. I'm just like, put Netflix on and just pretend nothing's happening at all. <laughs> that's sort of my way of working with him. Well, Jesus knows he's going into a state of extraordinary anguish. Can you imagine what it would take someone to sweat drops of blood? I mean, you might get a proper NHS appointment if you were achieving that one. You know, sweating blood. That's where he's heading to. He says, I have eagerly desired to eat with you, to eat Passover with you. Passover, as I'm sure you know, was something that happened just once a year in the Jewish calendar. And it's when they remembered them coming out of Egypt from slavery and the angel of death passed over God's people so they were spared. And there's a whole sort of ceremony and acting out there. Occasionally we do it here uh, on uh, Maundy Thursday. We act it out. There's bitter herbs, there's horseradish, there's a bit of lamb, uh, there's four cups of wine. And it, it's, it's quite the drama. And in, in, the, in the story, when the Jewish families do it, often the children are involved in reciting some of the sort of liturgies, they're acting it out. And Jesus is here producing what will go on to be the replacement for Passover, on Passover itself, a new liturgy for his people. I've eagerly desired to eat with you before I suffer it. I tell you again, I'm not going to eat Passover until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And so he takes the cup, and this is probably the fourth cup, and he gives thanks and says, take this and divide it uh, among you. I tell you, I'll not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. And then he takes bread and gives thanks and breaks it and says to them, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then uh, uh, the, 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 last, the, second, the final cup comes. The, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Bread and wine, just simple things from the Passover meal, given extraordinary new meaning. Actually, in John's gospel, in chapter six, Jesus has gathered a vast crowd of people. I don't know if you've seen the, some of the chosen episodes where he gathers these enormous crowds of people, or, or you imagine people walking out of Brentford uh, football stadium after, after one of the rugby matches or the football matches coming on there. They're all gathered around, they're all paying uh, interest in him. And in John six, he, he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. And he manages to reduce his phenomenal megachurch that he's gathered to just 12 people in about 10 minutes. It's the sort of thing that if you put it on your church leader CV would mean you'd never got a job again in your life. You know, he's gone from having about 10,000 people, like an entire new wine conference, to having uh, the equivalent of a small midweek communion left over. A great, great move, Jesus. But it's something that he does to really up the ante and say, this is all about me. And unless you fully eat me and drink me, you can't be saved. You can't do this on your own. You need to be so sort of integrated with me that my life is part of you to the degree that my life now carries you through into eternal life. Unless you eat in my eternal life into you, that eternal life can't go on forever. Unless you drink my blood and get that life force flowing through you, You can't be in in the kingdom of heaven, and it freaks them out in John's gospel. But here he makes it make sense for us. And he says, look, I'm gonna be betrayed. Uh, And actually Judas has just uh, agreed to betray Jesus at this stage. And then he talks about how he's come as one who serves because they all wanna know who's the best of them. Can you imagine this? On the night of your high anguish, the people that you've walked with all that time just want to know which one of them's the best. <laughs> it's like a squabbling little brats in a car, You're going, you never, you never, you never, and it's like, shh. They said, "I came among you as one to serve." It doesn't say it here in Luke's gospel, but in John's gospel, it shows a different half of this evening, and you'll remember that well, I'm sure. It's the the half of the evening, the beginning half of the evening, where Jesus washes their feet. And he says that, I will show you the full extent of my love. And he washes their feet. He serves them. He says, you guys have got to serve. And then he talks to Simon, Peter. And, uh, and Simon, uh, he, sa- he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. <laughs> which is an extraordinary statement, isn't it? I mean, that's worth just thinking about a second if you're not sure how powerful your prayers are. <laughs> Simon, Simon, okay, he's using his, his sort of original name. It's not his new name that Jesus has given him. His new name is Peter, the rock. So this is, back, this is a throwback to when he's just Simon. Simon, Simon, what, what happens next? Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, i.e. to work out which bit of you is any good and which bit of you should be chucked on a fire. Uh, But I have prayed for you. And you still think, fantastic. Jesus Christ has prayed for you. No problem then, Satan, get back in your corner. You're not going to be able to touch him. But did you see the next words? It's really worth looking at, verse 23. What do you think happens next after Jesus prays for him uh, when Satan wants to sift him? Uh, I've prayed for you, your faith may not fail. And... When you have turned back, Jesus says, strengthen your brothers. In other words, I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail, but actually it is going to fail, but you're going to come back again. Extraordinary, the limit of Jesus's prayer. It's not magic what he's doing. And this is why, because Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and death. And Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, changing the name here, Before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. You are going to fail me, Peter. And that's going to be part of his anguish going forward, that everyone, bar two or three people, reject him and let him down over this time. So it's it's not the most cheery of meals by the end of it, is it? You've got Simon being put in his corner. He finishes with Jesus talking about maybe taking some swords with you on the journey, which he then stops them using the next day in different ways. In fact, Peter uses it and he he replaces the guy's ear that Peter chops his ear off. But it is one that he says, I've eagerly desired to eat with you. And echoing down the centuries to right here, where we're going to, share communion together. I guess this is one of the reasons why. Because of all the things we we do as an act of worship in the Christian church, whether Orthodox or Catholic, Pentecostal, Baptist, Methodist, um, not Sally Army, I don't think they do it at all, but apart from them, (laughs) it is the singular most powerful spiritual act that anyone can do. It's an extraordinary act of worship. It's one of only two things that Jesus commands us to do. One is to get baptised and the other one is to take and eat and take and drink. It's right at the very centre of what it means to be part of the Christian family, to take communion together, to be part of this drama. I've longed to do this with you. And whenever we take the bread and wine, we pray over it, we pray that it may be really his body and his blood to us, not that we're thinking it's DNA has transformed, but spiritually it's real food for us. It helps us to remember on the one hand that he died for us, and it helps us to remember something from the future as well, that he'll come and reign and rule and judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. But it also links us to a very broken sort of religion, which we have got the privilege of being part of. I can remember as a uh, as a youngest child going to a friend's house from uh, a Hindu family, and they were watching their sort of religious film on the telly, and it was really interesting. I remember being quite quite gripped by it. It wasn't, you know, as as badly acted as the Jesus film or something like that. You know, it wasn't high produced. Uh, But the conquering uh, Hindu God who was in the picture was a conquering warrior. You know, he just sort of imposed himself on the situation he was in. The God of Christianity becomes so weak that he can talk about having a broken body and blood poured out for us. And you know, when you're facing those times of anxiety, and anguish you as a christian can link yourself to a god who has been tested in every way and at communion you come to a god who knows what it's like to be broken and poured out and you might be like i can't carry on anymore i feel like i'm all spent or i'm broken and fragile and you're like well well done that's the entry level for christianity The entry level for Christianity is to to be weak and pitiful and poor and blind and know that you need someone to save you. And so communion reminds us that we come to a crucified God, we come to a broken God and we only have to bring our brokenness to be utterly accepted at the table. So God, as we come to this communion act of remembrance now, as we come to this time of remembering that you are come to judge the living and the dead, help us to come as weak and broken and vulnerable people, as people who know that we need you. And as we come to this, your table, even if we think we're going through times of sifting or times of anguish or times of difficulty, May we find in your great drama, in your great story, the strength that is needed to carry on, keep going, and follow you to the ends of the earth, to take up our cross and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.